Hello, everyone. This is James with The World's Last Night. I am excited about this chapter. Actually, the next several chapters, at least the next four, are excellent. Um, this story is wonderfully crafted, um, as only God could craft. And today we are going to talk a little bit about Joseph's brothers. And we're going to have a very interesting reunion between Joseph's brothers and himself. But before I jump into the chapter, I wanted to make a correction from the last chapter. I was re-listening to um, chapter 41, and I saw I messed up. I I uh, read that Joseph had married Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest at On, and I had assumed that that was talking about the daughter being a priest. Well, it's obvious upon rereading it that that's not true. Um, first, it would be a priestess, but really, Potiphar is the priest at On, and it's his daughter Asenath that or Asenath that Joseph marries. So, a little bit of correction there. Um, but let's begin chapter forty-two, verse one. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, "Why do you keep looking at each other? Listen," he went on. "I have heard there's grain in Egypt." Go down there and buy some food for us, so that we will live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he thought something might happen to him. So, these brothers are with Jacob. We're back um, in their land in, in Canaan. As you know, there's a famine. So... This has affected their family. And it sounds like, if you could imagine, every time the name Egypt comes up, these brothers get a little antsy. Why? Because that's where they sold Joseph to Potiphar. And they don't want to go to Egypt. And so they know that the food is in Egypt right now during this famine. And their dad, Jacob's like, why what are you guys why are you looking at each other like this? Like go go to Egypt, go get us food, like duh. But these brothers are hesitant to do it. Which makes sense. It'd be a lot like if uh you know two people murdered someone and they buried the body under a bridge at a specific river. Well, anytime someone brought up bridge or whatever, they might get a little antsy, right? Because their conscience condemns them. And so all these brothers, their consciences are condemning them. They're being convicted of their sin every time they hear Egypt. At least that's how I would interpret that. Well, now Jacob's gun-shy, right? He's sending these brothers, but he's saving Benjamin. Benjamin is the other son uh, born from Rachel. So he definitely has favorites. Rachel's sons are his favorite. And he's gun-shy. He doesn't want to lose his other favorite son. So he's sending the others, but he's leaving um, Benjamin. And so he's got 11, he's sending 10, basically. So we'll keep reading. The sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. His brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Ha ha! Now we see this dream that Joseph had when he was 17 being fulfilled. Each of these brothers are bowing down to Joseph. 
So we're going to see how everyone responds here. Little hint, they're not going to recognize Joseph. So this is very interesting. We'll see how does Joseph um, go about this situation. What is God doing in Joseph? What is God doing to try to reconcile these people to each other? What is he doing to convict these brothers of their sins? So keep all those things in mind as we read. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized him, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the lane of Canaan to buy food, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the weakness of the land. No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food, they said. We are all sons of one man. We are honest. Your servants are not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see the weakness of the land. But they replied, We, your servants, were twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no longer living. <clears throat> so, you can imagine that probably hurts Joseph and uh they are, they don't have any reason to believe Joseph's dead, right? They sold him into slavery. They didn't murder him. Yet they've come up with this lie. They told their dad that he was dead. And they have repeated it so many times that they now themselves somewhat believe it. So that's sort of the pernicious nature of lies. You can believe your own press. <laughs> believe your own propaganda, um, Joseph is treating them harshly, though. He's coming up with his pretense, calling them spies. You're going to see what he wants, how he wants to punish them for that. But God's using this interaction for his redemptive work. So keep that in mind. Then Joseph, this is verse uh, 14. Then Joseph said to them, I have spoken. You are spies. Remember how powerful Joseph is? I mean, it's a pretty big deal. He's got the, he's got the signet ring of Pharaoh. This must be terrifying for his brothers. Verse 15, this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be imprisoned so that your words can be tested to see if they are true. If they are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. So Joseph imprisoned them together for three days. Joseph's got a plan here. Um, he's obviously made this, this test and he's really trying to get these people the same way that God deals with us. Really, he's trying to get them to think about and dwell on their sin. And, um, he's sort of being a verbal mouthpiece for their conscience. Verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, I fear God, do this and you will live. Now, the reason I think that Joseph would say, I fear God, is because he wants them to know that he is an, an honest honest man, like he's a man of his word. If they do this, they're going to live. So, if you are honest men, let one of you be confined to the guardhouse while the rest of you go and take grain to relieve the hunger of your households. Bring your youngest brother to me so that your words can be confirmed, then you won't die. And they consented to this. <clears throat> So this is after three days in prison. Now he is going to hold one of them hostage, send the rest back with supplies to then bring back the youngest brother, Benjamin, to prove that they're telling the truth. Verse 21. Then they said to each other, 
It is plain that we are being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this trouble has come to us. So these brothers are now being convicted by their sin. God's obviously convicting them of their sin. And so what they're doing is, even if something um, isn't related at all, right? They are they're, uh, circling the lines. They're circling the dots. They're drawing conclusions, thinking that, this general calamity, and they may have done this their entire lives, this general calamity is due to this really dark secret that they have between them for the sin that they've committed. So they're attributing it to selling their brother into slavery. Verse 22, But Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to harm the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph understood them since there was an interpreter between them. <laughs> he's so sneaky. So Joseph has been uh, using an interpreter because they're Hebrew, so they speak a different language than the Egyptians. And Joseph has this, he doesn't let them know that he understands and speaks Hebrew himself. So verse 24, this is a big one. He turned away from them and wept. Then he turned back and spoke to them. So Joseph secretly turns away after hearing this, hearing Reuben, because at least he has one brother, right? Reuben tried to save his life. And he also, I guess, feels bad for his brothers. Like, he, he probably still loves them. He's a more mature man now. He's been walking with God for some time now. He doesn't harbor this bitterness. And in fact, I, I would assume he wants to reconcile. Okay, he turned away from them and wept. Then he turned back and spoke to them. He took Simon from them and had him bound before their eyes. Joseph then gave orders to fill their containers with grain, return each man's money to his sack, and give them provisions for their journey. This order was carried out. They loaded the grain on their donkeys and left there. So he's taking care of his brothers even though they don't deserve it. He's taking care of his household. That's a hallmark of a righteous man, to bless your enemies. And what, what happens when we bless our enemies? Well, frequently in my experience, God then makes it easier to forgive them. And the, um, the memories that are so painful don't creep up as frequently. And if they do, they're overshadowed by what is currently going on in one's life. The hope that you have and also the, the glory that you find in your relationship with Jesus. And so I think that Joseph has the right medicine here to help alleviate his heartache and that is by actually blessing the very people that cursed him, that sold him into slavery. I mean, think about that. Sold him into slavery, and then eventually he was imprisoned. He's just, he had a, he, his best years of his life were spent in horrid servitude to others. You, I guess not horrid, but he had no freedom, right? He rose to the top in both those scenarios, which is great. God blessed him through it. But it was, certainly wasn't the life, I think, that he wanted as a 17-year-old boy. So, he has a contrite heart, he wept, and he's blessing those who once cursed him. Alright, verse 27. At the place where they lodged for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his money there at the top of the bag. He said to his brothers, My money has been returned, it's here in my bag. Their hearts sank. Trembling, they turned to one, one another and said, What is this that God has done to us? 
So even the blessing, even the blessing, having their money returned, they are looking around every corner trying to figure out how God is going to smite them for this sin that they committed a couple decades ago. So it's just uh, a good, I guess, story for us, a lesson learned that if you do have a secret sin, it's better to get it out in the open sooner than later so you don't have to suffer with it because Satan will continue to condemn you for it. Continue to condemn you for it for your entire life. But if you bring that secret sin out into the light, it disinfects it. And when exposed to sunlight, it it loses its power over you. And then you can begin to mend and heal. Well, for these men, they haven't had that. And so even the blessing of having their money returned, they see as um, a harbinger of destruction. And I would think that they probably are scared that they're going to be seen as thieves who took this grain without paying for it, even though Joseph ordered for them to have their money returned. I guess he just didn't tell them. Okay. Um, Okay, verse 29. When they reached their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. The man who is the lord of the country spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying on the country. But we told him, we are honest men and not spies. We were 12 brothers, son of the same father. One is no longer living, and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. The man who is the lord of the country said to us, This is how I will know if you are honest men. Leave one brother with me. Take food to relieve the hunger of your households and go. Bring back your youngest brother to me, and I will know that you are not spies but honest men. I will then give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the country. Verse 35. As it began emptying their... Oh, one little thing. Joseph took Simon. Now, I don't think Joseph is being vindictive by doing that. I rather think God's using it as a wise plan in order to get Joseph's full family to Egypt, right? He said, bring back the youngest brother. He wants to reconcile with all of them. That that would be the, the, the suspect. Now, if you haven't read this before... You might think instead of that, he wants to punish all of them. Um, But knowing the ending of this story, looking back, it seems more likely that he's just using it as a ploy to get them all together in one spot and to be reconciled. But likewise, you feel like God is using these circumstances to convict these men, to bring them to a place to where they fear Joseph, where they want to seek forgiveness. Um... So there's a lot of emotion going on here. I'm sure they all have some sort of anticipation about what's going to happen next concerning the sin that we committed 20 years ago here in Egypt or there in Egypt. Okay. As they began emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his bag of money. When they and their father saw their bags of money, they were afraid. So now they emptied all the sacks and they found out they have all the money back. Verse 36, their father Jacob said to them, you've deprived me of my sons. Joseph is gone and Simon is gone. Now you want to take Benjamin. Everything happens to me. So Jacob's being a sissy. I mean, he obviously, okay, here's the deal. He is being very dramatic about Simon because 
he can get Simon back. Simon's still living. He's been lied to about Joseph, so there is that. But him saying everything happens to me is not the right attitude he should have. Um, another character, obviously, we've been talking about is Joseph, who everything did happen to Joseph, and Joseph had a right attitude about it, though. He, he actually turned and worshipped God, didn't curse God for it. So... This man has been, Jacob's been very blessed financially, spiritually, um, has dreams about God, and has been, has had words from God. So he's been extremely blessed, and yet he's still complaining about his life. So you might think I'm being harsh on his character here, but I feel like at this point in his life, Jacob should have a little more faith in the God he serves. That's my, my entire point distilled than what he exhibits. Verse 37. Then Reuben said to his father, you can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my care and I will return him to you. So now Reuben is basically saying, look, dad, um, you can kill my two sons, your grandchildren, if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. But it's vital that we take Benjamin right? Like we need the food. We need to get Simon back. And it doesn't seem like Jacob's too concerned about Simon, which is kind of sad. He obviously has favorites. He's not willing to risk losing Benjamin to save Simon. He has a fear-based mentality with decision-making. Um, and I think he's probably had that for a great deal of his life. I mean, even whenever he moved to Session, um, it probably was attractive to live next to a, a bustling city instead of kind of the middle of nowhere, Bethel. But God told him to go to Bethel, and God had to kick his butt to get him back to Bethel, remember? So I feel like Jacob's biggest flaw as a character is that he he is uh, fear-based. He has lots of great qualities. He's an extremely hard worker. He's had moments of like extreme faith in God, but... <clears throat> Like I said, I feel like he should be uh, further along on his, his faith journey than this. But who am I, right, to judge? So, all right. Um, so after Reuben makes this, you know, offer, it says, verse 38, But Jacob answered him, My son will not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If anything happens to him on your journey, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. And that's the end of the chapter. We got some really like great high drama out of this chapter. This reunion of the brothers and Jacob uh, still hiding who he, his true identity. Not Jacob, Joseph hiding his true identity. And then here at the end, it's like Simon is being held. If these brothers don't bring him back, you know, Simon's going to be a prisoner. And yet Jacob won't do the sacrifice necessary to get Simon back. But we're going to find that God's using all of this um, for his glory and for his ultimate plan to save Israel and his sons. And also God seems to be still working on Jacob. There's some things that Jacob hasn't surrendered to, to God yet. And then of course, Joseph is still just big balling in Egypt, selling this, uh, grain and still ruling. And I I love it. (laughs) I'm glad we have a character that's, uh, that is actually, trying to follow God um, and dealing with suffering from a Christ-like manner and then exercising authority properly for the benefit of his countrymen, his society. Um, So 
next we're going to find that you know Jacob is is going to actually let everyone go back to Egypt and we're going to see them return and what happens with the reunion. So until then, this is James from the world's last night. 